waiting to say this. Welcome back to Creekside Church. It is so exciting to have some of you here, and uh, we are also excited for those of us that can continue to join us online. I was thinking of a, of a verse this morning I wanted to read from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 11, this was Paul uh, writing to the Roman church. He said, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And just, you know, it's, it is a struggle right now that we can't meet as we normally do. Um, and, you know, we're still kind of easing back into this, into this uh, you know, new reality. But we're just thankful uh, for the opportunity to sing together, to, to pray together, to be in God's Word together this morning. And, and so... Uh, just just want to to remind us of that and and uh, and mention that, but we are we're happy to be here. So, a few uh, housekeeping items, a few announcements. One uh, has to do with just the the setup here this morning. At the end of the service, uh, after we have some music for communion and we sing a final song, uh, you'll be dismissed, and the ushers will release people from back to front. And uh, at that dismissal time, we just want everyone to proceed uh, out the back door and out into the parking lot area where you can socialize outside uh, safely. And uh, we do ask the kids to refrain from jumping on the playground equipment right away on Sunday mornings. We appreciate everyone's cooperation. The other reminder for those of you that are at home, we will be having communion at the end of the service. So grab your bread and your juice and have it ready for, for the end of our time together. We have some exciting announcements to share. Uh, one is that Larry and Liz Westfall are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. Let's hear uh, some applause. And we have a chance to help them celebrate this week. Uh, there will be a, a drive-by anniversary celebration. If you're interested in being a part of that, we want you to meet at Hillis Elementary, which is at 56 and Hickman at 6.30 on Thursday, sorry. Another good announcement, Alec and Annie are expecting. Their boy is due soon, and so they're registered on Amazon. Uh, you can see the information on the screen. Please uh, contact Marla Smith or Katie Markwood if you have questions. We've got the Haiti trip coming up in October. Again, that is, that is plan is still, still set. So if you are interested in going, Lord willing, uh, please contact Norbert here in Metzler. I'm sure they would be excited for all that are able to join them on that trip. So we'll have a, a special recognition for both our college graduates and high school graduates on May 31st. So uh, we look forward to that time. Um, I'm just going to say a word of prayer, and then uh, as I'm doing that, Steve, if he wants to come up. Father, thank you for the opportunity to praise your name, uh, to rejoice in song, and to, and to just reflect on the goodness of God. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. Um, Lord, we do just bless your name in, in difficult times and in good. And we ask that you would encourage our hearts this morning. Just we look forward to time in your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Alan. A uh, couple of things that I want to call to your attention. First of all, is that some of you, most of you are aware that just recently one of our Creekside family members went home to be with the Lord. Uh, Reuben and his wife Victoria have been attending 
services here for about a year and they were down in Mexico seeing family and uh, he was working and actually he gave his life uh, to save another man who was in trouble down in a well that they were working in and so there were I don't know all the details but some uh, toxic gases in the well and he rescued the other man and the other man's uh, still alive as far as I know but Reuben's life was lost he and his wife Victoria and their little son Pablo were part of our church family and Victoria is expecting their second child in October, and so our hearts are heavy as we grieve their loss. If you want to help contribute to an encouragement offering, there is a separate basket here at the church for financial gifts, and if you give a financial gift, please give it separate from the card because we want to get the finances to her. Uh, there's not like tremendous financial need that we know of. It's just a love offering. It's a bereavement gift. It's to, it's to show that we care and a way of expressing our love. And then you can put cards in there as well, and we'll get the cards to her later, but the financial stuff we want to get to her. You can write the, church, write the check to the church, but uh, somehow designate for the bereavement fund, and we'll get it to you. If it gets in the regular offering, our people will sort it out too. Just make sure it's designated, because if it's not designated, it won't go to the right place. Also ask you to keep in your prayers uh, Dorothy Eisenmenger and uh, Patty Jones and that family as they are struggling with uh, Dorothy's illness and I want to pray and then we'll look to the word of God. Father, uh, my heart is heavy even as this morning we receive in texts from Victoria and just know that uh, she has been encouraged in her faith and yet she is deeply sorrowful and mourning the loss of her young husband and I pray thanking you for those in our church family who've been praying for her as she knows and senses and is aware of your spirit's presence and work in her heart. And we pray that you would surround her, that you would hold her in your arms, that you would be a very and ever-present help in her time of trouble as you promised that you would be. I pray uh, that you'd encourage and strengthen her. I ask that you would work in Patty and her family and Dorothy's lives. I pray that you would superintend and work to bring comfort, encouragement, and strength. If it's your will to bring healing back to Dorothy, we pray that you would work in a powerful way in that situation. And Father, as we take some time now to look into your word, it is my prayer that your spirit would work in each of our hearts as we look at some very, very challenging and convicting truths from your word. I praise you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And I ask that you would open our eyes as the psalmist prayed, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and that you would direct us and change us, not just informing but transforming us. For your sake and for your glory, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is really interesting because for the last eight weeks, I've been in this sanctuary pretty much by myself with a few of our tech guys, and so it's kind of neat to be able to not just have to look straight at the camera. So you at home, uh, if I'm looking around here, it's actually I'm looking at people. So you can forgive me for not just staring into the camera. And I am, want to roam further than I can, but uh, technology prohibits me from doing that without going off screen for some of you. So some of you will like that, some of you won't. But I just want to start by saying that this whole thing makes me kind of weird out because uh, I love people 
and I want to hang with people, and it's like, but I have to be sensitive to people. And so some people are like, yeah, they want to come up, and they want to give you a hug, they want to give you a pat on the back, and you're like, whoa, wait a second, time out, you know? So I just ask you all to be gracious with each other. Let's just be gracious. I'm so pleased that the people who have come have come. We're here to thank you and praise you and encourage you. Those who weren't able to come, no condemnation, no criticism. Praise God, you're at home listening. Everybody, it's all good, okay? So let's just uh, get that right up front that uh, there's no condemnation, no criticism. We're glad that you're here. If you're here, if you're not here, we still love you, and we're waiting for the day that you'll be able to join us. We're just excited that you're able to be here with us this morning, so praise God. I have been really challenged by this text in Scripture, so I'm going to dig right into it. There's a story that's been told, and I haven't checked. I don't know. I didn't fact check it, so I don't know this is true. Young man loved to play but wasn't very good at football. And so, surprisingly, he made his college football team. But what happened was, he was on the team, never missed a practice for four years, never played in a game for four years. Just rode the bench the whole time. Well, one practice during his senior year, just as his team was preparing to go in their first round playoff game, his coach came to him with a telegram. He opened the telegram, and to his horror, he found out that his father had passed away. The coach said, hey, forget practice, forget the game, just go be with your mom. And so he left. On Saturday, game day, he showed up late to the game, and his team was not doing very well at all. He went, he got suited up, got dressed, went out, took his place by his teammates, and then he was particularly bold. And he said to the coach, coach, I got to play. I got to play in this game. I got to play in this game. Put me in. Put me in. Finally, the coach just kind of gave up. and They weren't doing that well anyway. So he says, yeah, go in. What happened next was amazing. He became, I mean, he took over. He took charge of the field. What happened was that this young man was amazed everybody. He was like, what happened? In fact, he is play was so significant that his team went on to win the game. I mean, he just took charge of the field. After the game, after they won, the coach came up to him, put his arm around his shoulder, and he says, kid, what happened? What happened out there? What did I see? You were fantastic. The young man looked up with tears in his eyes, and he says, coach, you know that this past week my dad passed away, but what you didn't know was my dad was, is blind, okay? And this is the first game that he's ever seen me play. First game he's ever seen me play. Can you believe it? So he said, I was playing for him. And the coach was amazed, and I don't know whether it's a true story. Uh, can't tell you the theological implications of whether that's actually true, whether his dad saw him for the first time or not. Don't know, but the point is this. In the same way that he was playing for an audience of one, As we look at the text of Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, we find that Jesus teaches the very same principle. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be playing for an audience of one. We are only to play for our Father to see. You see, back in chapter 5, verse 20, we found Jesus calling us to live out a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. It surpasses them not only in our actions, but also is in straight contradiction to their hypocrisy. Yeah, we're supposed to live 
live only for our Heavenly Father. But then in chapter 5, verses 21 through 48, we found out that, hey, this righteousness that we're supposed to live out, we're supposed to exude, is actually contrary to the, that of the Pharisees, but it, it, it's superior to them. And now we find out that there's supposed to be this righteousness that we exhibit that's not supposed to be seen by people, but still supposed to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. See, they had a faulty understanding of the law. And we're supposed to live out the true understanding of the law. They didn't live for God's eyes only. We're supposed to live for God's eyes only, contrary to the hypocritical actions of the Pharisees. So in chapter 6, verse 1, we see the principle that we're supposed to live in the presence of God and live out our faith for Him only to see. And then we're supposed to tease it out in chapter 6, verses 2 through 18 with three illustrations of what it means to live for His eyes only. I hope you have your Bibles. If you don't, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Or if you have your phone on your device, wherever it is, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 because we're going to look at the first of these illustrations of what it means to live for his eyes only. What is it, the righteousness, the secret righteousness that we're supposed to live out as far as charitable giving? The text begins in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Then he says, When therefore you give alms, do not be, do not uh, blow a trumpet in public as the hypocrites do when before the sanctuary and in the streets in order to be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And then he says in verse 3, But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your alms giving might be in secret, and your heavenly Father who sees in secret will repay you. Now there's a lot in this text, but we're going to look first of all at these two admonitions, or two in the text, that Jesus uses to convince us that authentic righteousness means secret giving by those who are living in the presence of God. First of all, we're informed what the principle is of righteousness. That's in chapter 6, verse 1. And there's two aspects of the warning. It is a warning. He says, beware. At least the New American Standard starts, beware. So look out, caution, here it is. Two aspects of the warning against artificial righteousness reveal that Christians are to live consciously in the presence of God. First of all, there is the offense, the offense of seeking others notice when we do anything. Now this is the broad principle. I want you to remember that. This is the broad principle in chapter 6 verse 1 that governs everything through chapter 6 verse 2 through chapter 6 verse 18. So the broad principle is that we are not, to, that there's an offense of seeking others notice. Jesus warns against the religious hypocrisy that is practicing your righteousness before men. You know, as we prepared to reopen, we had to read through all of the CDC and the Iowa Department of Public Health guidelines and warnings. You know, warnings, what? Warnings, beware. Maintain your physical distance. Beware. Wash your hands. Beware. Cough into your elbow. Beware. 
you know, use hand sanitizer, beware, put masks on, beware, 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 all the warnings. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Well, what is this righteousness that he's talking about? What are we supposed to be practicing? What he's talking about is engaging in activity. Beware of engaging in activity that is supposed to manifest, is supposed to be a measure of your spiritual life in the presence of people. Those which are practices of piety that would manifest or actually illustrate the fact that we are the children of God. Giving, praying, and fasting are the illustrations he provides. But we could add in there coming to church. We could add in there you know, doing service. A lot of different things we could add uh, of spiritual disciplines, rest, those kinds of things. But he just uses these as illustrations. We're just warned against showmanship. It's not a show. We're not supposed to put on a show for other people in practicing our righteousness before men in order to impress them, in order for them to notice. When I was in high school, I played basketball and I remember at practice sometimes, especially when we were having a difficult conditioning practice, and the coach would be walking around among all of the players, and you know we'd be all in lines, and we'd be doing this running in place thing, and you're supposed to move your feet up and down really fast, really fast, really fast, really fast, really fast, really fast, and you know, and then there would be people when the coach's eyes were on them. Guess what they were doing? Really fast, really fast, really fast, really fast. But then when the coach turned his back on them, then it was like they're getting a break taking a rest they were living to please the coach they were living for the moment to gain notoriety well Jesus says that we are not to live that way some of you work at places and you know employees that do the same thing when the boss is looking boy are they on it but when the boss is not looking then it's fun and games listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this he says ultimately our only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves. We may please ourselves. I think it's a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality. That, in fact, we are either living to please ourselves or we're living to please God. But you say... Yeah, but what about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 16? If you have your Bibles open, look at there. He says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So how can these both be true? How is it on the one hand we're supposed to let our light shine so people will see it, and on the other hand we're supposed to do everything in secret? There's no contradiction. Here's the deal. The visible practice of righteousness that Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 48, will necessarily be seen by people. If we're living out the true understanding of the law in relationship to loving people and maintaining uh, spiritual uh, purity and physical purity, if we're living out and not being angry and upset and, and demanding our rights and we're loving our enemies, people will see that. But notice the goal. That, they might that we might glorify our Father who is in heaven. So our goal is to glorify God, even though our righteousness is seen by men. Yet our observance of certain practices of piety, giving and praying and fasting, is to be done privately, without any pretense, for His eyes only. 
So here's the deal. Our private vertical connection with God is supposed to be so powerful and so good that it's hidden from view, but the impact of it translates into our horizontal relationship with other people so that our activity is seen by them, not for our gain, but for His glory. That doesn't make it too confusing. So we connect with God privately, and then we interact publicly, but not to be noticed, but to be giving God the glory. Just like the young football player. Was he not playing in public? Yes, but he was not playing for the public. He was playing for his father. So in one way, he didn't seek the praise. He sought the praise of his father. So there was no self-glorification. There was no seeking of the praise of men. Yet his efforts were seen by all, so he wasn't trying to demean himself. So believers, it's not like we're supposed to hide in a, under a bushel. No, we're supposed to live out before men, but not for them, for him. That's the offense. Here's, it's amazing to me that when you look at it, that we're to live as lights in the world, but not to seek the limelight. Lights in the world not seeking the limelight. And the oddity is, our righteousness is to be seen in the living out of the law correctly, where the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was not seen, was secret. And we are supposed to be living in secret where the lives of the scribes and the Pharisees is seen, practicing our spiritual piety. That's the offense, now the expense. What does it cost? Notice he says at the end of verse 6, otherwise, which introduces the cost of hypocrisy, otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Some of you are familiar with uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Some of you have taken that Financial Peace University. Uh, One of the things that he teaches there is that you can't just spend, you have to save. And if you don't save, guess what? You will not reap the reward. Well, some of you may or may not be familiar with who Warren Buffett is, but Berkshire Hathaway, one of the, he's one of the wealthiest men in the world, and one of his primary practices and one of the principles that he teaches is that you must save so that you can buy into the market when the price goes down. Saving results in rewards. So, warning, if you don't save, you won't benefit. Warning, if we do our practices before men, guess what? We won't benefit. That's what Jesus says. And so here it is. I I quote Lloyd-Jones, which I think some of you saw earlier. He says, there's no reward from God for those who seek it from men. No reward from God for those who seek it from men. Now, I don't know about you, but if you think about this very long, it's very convicting. I mean, my job puts me in front of people. I am publicly in the presence of people. If if my preaching, if our teaching, if our serving, either in ESL or Awana or as a greeter or on the praise team, if our giving, if our fasting, if our sharing of our faith, is done for people to see. 
if it's done for the very purpose that we might receive the praise of men, this text says, okay, you get it. And that's all you get. That's all you get. Our complete reward is what people think. And there's nothing from God. That's, that's scary. Now, I would understand that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So that even most of us would probably, I would concede that there's mixed motives. <laughs> you know, I can't always discern whether I'm actually, I can never discern if I'm actually doing things for the absolute right motive. And so, even to that, it's, okay, are, my reward is diluted, <laughs> watered down at best, if I don't have the right motive. The principle is that Christians are to live in a conscious awareness that we're in the presence of God as we live out our faith without any pretense that I'm serving, that I'm engaging in the practices of piety for the purpose of living in a relationship with Him. That's it. Because I want to know Him. I want to grow in Him. And I pray, Lord, help me to know You better and love You more. Now, if I were to ask the people of Creekside Church, intellectually, theologically, do you believe that you are in the presence of God? Well, sure. That's, you know, God's omnipresent, right? We know that. Theologically, intellectually, we live in the presence of God. This is Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Uh, Psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? You know, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the lowest parts of the earth, behold, you're there. If I Take, winds, uh, take the wings of the dawn if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, which would be for them the west. And if I dwell, in, uh, even if your hand will lead me or your right hand will lay hold of me. Okay, No place can we escape God. We know that intellectually. But I want to know. I, I don't need to know, but I'm asking. Are we conscious of the fact every moment of every day or at least regularly through the day, that every thought, every word, every motive, every intention, every action is in the presence of God. God's there. God sees. God knows. God understands. I can't, can't hide it from Him. Some of you, uh, I was reading this week in Psalm 69, you can write this down if you want to look it up later, Psalm 69 verse 5 just reinforces this, that we cannot escape God's presence and knowledge and that he sees even our sin. Some of you heard the statement, you can fool all of the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time, I'd like to modify it. You can fool some, all of the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time, you can't fool God any time. I, I can't fool him at all. The first act of Jewish piety that illustrates this principle of the necessity of living in the presence of God and practicing our righteousness in secret has to do with charitable giving. And so we come to the second instruction, and we're instructed in the practice of righteous giving in verses 2 through 4. And Jesus shares two lessons that should govern our giving that would indeed reflect righteousness in the giving. First of all, there's a prohibition against hypocrisy in our giving. Look at verse 2. When therefore you give alms. So then, I don't know, maybe yours translates it somehow differently, but it's like, whoa, that's not really common English. Give alms. Well, that sounds like the use of the word narthex or 
you know, something like, is that a disease, the narthex? You know, uh, it's an it's a old word that we used to describe the lobby. You know, now it's a lobby, you know. Alms, giving alms. Alms means charitable giving. Charitable giving that helps. Helps physically or materially, that helps emotionally, that helps spiritually. It's giving that is intended to encourage and help those in need, whatever their need might be. It can be gifts of money, like we're raising money to give to Victoria and her son Pablo and their baby. That's, a, that's alms, okay? That's, that's a gift of money. Or food for the food pantry. When we collect food for the little free food pantry or the Urbandale food pantry, we're giving to those in need. Or maybe it's clothes, diapers, and wipes for those who are having a baby shower. That's giving alms, or can be giving alms. It can be giving our counsel. It can be giving our time. It can be giving our expertise. Some of you have expertise in electricians, and some of you have expertise in finances, some of you have expertise in a lot of different ways. You can use your expertise as a gift to encourage another person. Some of you have used your energy to help clean the church. Thank you so much. There's so much that's been done, and we praise God for it. Some of us have given our possessions. We received alms in the form of hostas from people in the congregation. That's a gift. It can be given, and it's alms. It can be giving to the least of these, the widows, the orphans, and the poor. It can be giving to those who are part of our church family, those who are missionaries that we're supporting, helping with the Haiti team. It can be giving to ministries, the safety team, women's ministries team, men's team, WANA, all that. That's giving, okay? So it's giving, charitable giving. Notice the text says, when you give. It's not an option. It doesn't say, well, if you happen to think about giving, if we're a child of God, there's an expectation that we will give. Because we have been given to. And so it is a natural expectation that we would give of individual disciples. But we're, 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 we're told, don't sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do. I can't even play a trumpet. I don't even know if I can make a noise out of a trumpet. You know, it's not easy. Uh, I tried it once, you know. First time I took a lesson and tried out for a band was in fifth grade. And I had to blow into a trombone. <laughs> You know, it's like nothing, you know. you got to get those lips tightened up, and you got to really, uh, it's, it's, it's complicated. Or not, depends on if you're musically inclined or if you're talented at that. But, you know, no, this is not literally blowing a trumpet. All through this text, Jesus is not always speaking literally. He's speaking figuratively. So he's saying don't call attention to yourself. Not literal trumpeting, but it's what the scribes and Pharisees did. You will look later much later in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, when they, they gave, they gave their offerings to be noticed by men. And that's what he's talking about. They drew attention deliberately. A hypocrite is deceived into believing that their self-seeking charity is a mark of spirituality, that I give for people to see and God is pleased with my self-centered giving. Now, sounding a trumpet can be an obvious thing. And I'm going to make an example here. I want you to, I, don't, I read this or heard this this week that uh, 
Richard Childress, who is a big NASCAR owner of a NASCAR, he's, he's putting on auction this Dale Earnhardt number three car. It's going on public auction. Well, I, I don't even know. Is that really a thing now, public auction? It's going on auction online, I'm sure. But anyhow, half the proceeds are going to go to Samaritan's Purse, which is a Christian charity. Now, I would like to say, all I'm going to say is I'm not here to indict anybody's motive. I'm not saying that they're trumpeting their own horn in order to gain the recognition of men. All I'm saying is, that's a loud trumpet. You know, I mean, this is all over the internet. It's everywhere. That's a loud trumpet. That's obvious. That's an obvious thing. A little more obvious that might come to home is like, well, you know, I have my name embossed on certain bricks in the church building. Because I gave the money for that brick. And I want people to know I gave the money for that brick. In fact, I gave for several bricks. Or I'll have the fellowship hall named after me. Or maybe I'll have my own seat embossed with my name and our family. This is where the Smith family... I actually went to a church in Washington, D.C. once like that. They, they used to have little boxes... You know, like uh, in, 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 tra- in rail cars throughout Europe, you can ride in a box and they have seats that face each other. Well, this is what they had in this church. They had all these little boxes with seats. This was for the family. This was for the Weeks family. And this was for the McConnell family. And, this, and you know, they'd paid for that box. Like box seats at the ball game, you know. So what I'm saying is that we blow the trumpet. That can be a very obvious thing. But it can also be obscure. And here's where I think most of us need to pay attention. Because most of us are not, we don't, we don't have Dale Earnhardt number three cars to sell, you know. So, well, okay, no big deal for me. But I know in my own life, there have been times when I have mentioned in a sermon or in passing or with other believers that Marla and I have contributed to this certain organization. Ministry, Christian ministry, you know. It's a Christian ministry, of course. And we kind of gave to that. Or, you know, I've, I've been to certain places in the world to serve Jesus. Well, I, 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 get, I made a phone call to, to this person, and I'm just, I'm just giving information, you know. Of course, that's what happens at prayer meetings. We just give information. Would you please pray? Because I know that this person has this problem. Or... I just want you to know I had a chance to share Jesus with this person. Okay. And I know in my heart that on many of those occasions it hasn't been just for the purity of encouragement of other people, but I know that there has been this subtle self-exaltation. There has been this sudden, subtle Hint that I want the notoriety. I want to be noticed by men. I'm trumpeting my own horn. It's so sad. It's so subtle. It's so sinister that it bleeds into our lives that we might be honored by men. This is the motive of the hypocrite, to be honored by people. And I would just submit to you that the self within is an impetuous and egocentric child clamoring for the center of attention. In A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, he he devotes these chapters to the crucifixion of the self. 
Why? Because it's such an impetuous and egocentric child that rears its ugly head within us in the most subtle and sinister ways that we want to be noticed by people. We're not living in secret. We're not living for his eyes. We're living for their eyes. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, is the end of verse 2. If the applause of men is our aim, then that's all we will gain. That's it. I think about all the work I put into my yard. Why? Oh, like your landscaping. Oh, it's so nice. You really want to know how much ibuprofen I have to take to hear that? Think about it. I was thinking about it this morning. I was looking around my house. I was going, you, know, you think about how much, you, and, and it's, a, oh, that's a nice paint job. You have no idea. You have not a clue. That's it, though. Okay, take that to the bank. Live, how long are you going to live on those exhaust fumes? The praise of men is fleeting and fickle. I think about I was thinking about the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they, there was a Super Bowl in 2020, if we forget. You know, they actually did play football in 2020. And the Kansas City Chiefs, whether you like them or not, they won the game. You know, they had this ticker tape parade down through Kansas City. And I'm thinking, you know, those guys that play professional football, I mean, they're on it 24-7, 365, busting their tail, conditioning, working out. Yeah, I know they make a lot of money, and that's that's true too, but you think, that, you think that ticker tape parade really juiced them for the next year? I kind of doubt it. I think the money probably speaks louder than the ticker tape. But the praise of men, that's it. It's fleeting. Then we get to verse 4 because the second part of this is it's, it's, it's not just that we're a prohibition against hypocrisy. There's a promotion of secrecy in our giving. Look at verse 3. He says, but when you give alms... When you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Think about that for a minute and see if it doesn't blow your mind. You think Jesus is talking literally? No. It's like, no, I, I, can't, I can't do one without the other. He's not talking about that. What he's saying is the righteous give with such extreme secrecy and humility that they pay little attention to what they do or what they give. I mean, it's extremely difficult, if you think about it, not to keep a mental record of our good, th- good stuff, right? I mean, every year, at the end of the year, you get this little statement from our church treasurer that says how much you gave to the church, right? Oh, yeah, this is my charitable contribution. And then you know, of course, you know the other things, the other checks you've written to other charities and other organizations and other ministries and other people that have helped them out. And you are really aware, most of us are more fully aware now, during this pandemic, of all of the ministry activity that we've been pouring ourselves into that we haven't been doing as much of lately, right? And so we keep a mental record of all the ministry stuff that we've been cognizant of, and then the temptation is to start comparing that with other people. Well, they, you know, they have a lot of free time. Yep. And I'm pretty sure they don't give nearly as much as I do. And sacrifice. I mean, by the way, these people, they wouldn't know what it is. From, from the appearance of things. And so this leads to this pharisaical mentality, this pharisaical thoughts of, oh Lord, I thank you that, that I'm not like those other folks who, who barely give. You know, 
and they hardly serve, and, and they rarely sacrifice. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy on our part. That your alms may be in secret, he says, in secret. Not worried about other people, not even worried about ourselves. We're so busy just serving Jesus that we don't really care or know that we did all this stuff. That's the idea. Now, it doesn't mean that we're ignorant of it. It means we're not cognizant of it. It's not that that's on our mind. That's not on our forefront. That's not what we're thinking. See, we don't draw public attention to our giving. Neither do we engage in private admiration of our giving, our serving, our loving. The righteous give with a focus on pleasing God, and then they forget about it. The text closes with some encouragement here in verse 4. Three encouragements as we give. First of all, we're reminded that God is our Father in verse 4. That your alms may be in secret and your Father. And so I just, I just have to ask you, is God your Father? Is God your Heavenly Father? Are you aware that there's inconsistencies. You know, some of you may be saying, I don't know if God's my father. I don't even know if I believe in this Christianity stuff. I'm really not sure. I'm just kind of checking it out. And then you see a text like this, which says that we're supposed to give in secret and not seek our own notice. And you could logically, and I think accurately, go to this, down this road, which says, yep, see, this text only confirms that the demands that Jesus places on his children are not displayed by his children. They're a bunch of hypocrites. So why would I want that? And my caution to you, my encouragement to you, is don't let our imperfect representation of Jesus be a reason for you to dismiss his claim on your life. Take a look at your own life. See the imperfect standard, the perfect standard he sets and the imperfect way that you live it out. You fall short. You fail to measure up. You never do anything so other people will see it. Even in the recesses of your own heart, you know you do. And realize that only in a relationship with God will I be forgiven for those sins. Only in a relationship with God will I be given new life. Only in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ will I be empowered to live this righteous life that Jesus demands. See, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. I think we have a, a slide that says, For you are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. If you're not believing or trusting in Christ, you're not one of God's children. You see, the scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed to measure up to his standard. And we deserve his punishment because of that. But God in his mercy sent his son to die on the cross. First Peter chapter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body. That's Jesus. Died in our place. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we're healed. So our sin on Jesus, Jesus' righteousness on us, so that he died and we live. And so I call you, invite you, to put your faith or your trust in Christ. For by grace you've been saved, by faith. And that not a result, it's a gift of God. Have you received the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus? And if you haven't, then... You know, just call it like it is. Admit that you are a messed up person. You, I mean, we're all messed up, okay? So I'm not any different than you. I've just been washed in the blood of Christ. That doesn't make me better than you at all. It just makes me forgiven. And I want you to be forgiven. 
so that you can join me in this quest to imperfectly live out the righteousness of Christ as our Father, who for the children of God is a blessed truth. See, because I do imperfectly live it out. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know Christ so that he will be your father. And if you do know Jesus, he is your father. And in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our messing up, he still loves us. That's the amazing thing. Our father never stops loving us as imperfect in living out his reality as we are. Secondly, our father sees in secret. Think about this. We mentioned a little bit, but Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, No creature is hidden from his eyes. All things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So think about that. I have a couple of friends that I have in my mind that I know work in a third world country. And I know that they've shared with me on, on different occasions about needs that have or pressing needs, you know, wells and, and orphanages where there are people starving to death or getting one meal a day and it doesn't amount to much. And uh, people in prison, uh, men and women and boys and girls all in the same prison cell and just horrible things that happen there. And I know, I don't know because they told me, but I know because I know in my heart that they did something, they gave something, they went, they contributed to help alleviate those needs. And the people that they help, they have no clue where it came from. But God knows. And so I say to you, all the secret giving of your talents, of your time, of your treasure, of your energy, of your expertise, of your listening ear and your counsel and encouragement, all that stuff that you do that isn't paraded about in front of people, God knows. And he sees. And then finally, our Father repays us. Not, not in some perverted sense. Okay? God is never indebted to us. What this says is he rewards us. There's no public celebration, no grand recognition this life, but there's coming a day, a glorious day, when his record of our righteousness will be remembered and we will be rewarded for the secret stuff. So, my challenge is, may we live for his eyes only. May that be our prayer. Father, for your eyes only. Just as a young college football player did. An audience of one. And as we live to please our Heavenly Father in our vertical connection, only for him to see, guess what? In our horizontal relationships, his love and grace and mercy and righteousness will be manifest all for his glory. And what better way to call to mind the fact that the possession of righteousness is what enables us to practice righteousness. Then through breaking of bread and taking of the cup, which are the symbols of his body broken, Christ's body, and his blood shed, so that we could, all who believe in him, would have this life and possess the righteousness of Christ. So that we could live in the presence of God. And to do that, we must be in a relationship with Him. And so I invite you to take this time at home, here in the church, to contemplate the mercy of God. How much do we deserve Christ to die for us? We don't. Not at all. Zip. 
We deserve His judgment. Contemplate His mercy. Think about all of your own vain attempts to be noticed by men in your giving. Ah, it's painful. And then celebrate His mercy. That He did love us enough to make it possible for us to be restored for Him and celebrate His mercy in rescuing us. And then make a commitment in our heart to live more fully in His presence. I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, sing a song and Alan will introduce our communion. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your love, Jesus. For this hard text that exposes our sinful selfishness and our desire, the impetuous and egocentric child of self within us that longs to be the center of attention. We pray that you would work to crucify self within us, that we would live more consistently and more genuinely for your glory in the secret of our own giving, the secret of our own praying, the secret of our own fasting, the secret of our own relationship with you so that we can live more fully shining the light of Jesus in the world. Lord, use these next few moments for us to examine our hearts, to confess any known sin, to get right with you and rejoice and celebrate what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. invite you to join us in singing a final song together. Um, let's just bow our heads and, and thank God. Father, how awesome it is that you uh, gave the ultimate price for us. Jesus paid it all. He's given us a hope and a confidence uh, that we can trust in you for all of our needs. Father, we pray for those who are hurting this morning, those who are uh, suffering those who need your healing touch. Uh, we pray for just those in our church body who are longing to uh, be together again. And uh, we just pray that you would bring encouragement and comfort and uh, just remind us of, of the great gift, the priceless gift we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.